We're going to look at Acts 11 and 13 of the church in Antioch under the title today, Church Alive. And this church in Antioch, it was a very important church in regards to the growth of Christianity. It was the first church with a significant number of non-Jewish members. It was the first church where the followers of Christ were first called Christians. And it's the first missionary sending church that we find in the Bible. Let's look, first of all, how the church was created, and then we'll think about in a minute or two how this church grew. Three Ps about how it was created. First of all, it was created by providence. Providence is God's most wise and loving control of all events that happen in this world for the good and for the building of His church. And the persecution of the church in Jerusalem, which followed Stephen's death, God used that. Remember, the believers had been told to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth and to share the gospel. But they hadn't been doing that yet. And so God used this persecution so that the believers would scatter. And wherever they went, they shared the message of Jesus. And God saw to it that some believers ended up in Antioch. And not just some believers, but the very right people that were needed in order for the church, and particularly a Gentile church, to develop and to grow there. And this is one of the most wonderful things we need to understand, that where we are in life, we're not here by accident. None of us are here this morning by accident. It was planned before the world began. None of us live where we live. None of us are part of this church by accident. God has planned it. And God has planned us to be here. God has planned us to be part of the church for the building of the church. He draws people in to become Christians. He draws people in so they'll grow and share the message. And so, let me say to the unsaved, you're hearing this message today because it's God's plan that you hear. And for those of us who are Christians, God has us where we are for the building of His church. And we have an important part to play. So the first thing was God's providence, overruling everything for the sake of the church. The second thing we see in verse 20 is preaching. The believers who came to Antioch shared the message about Jesus. Of course, any church is built on the truth of the Lord Jesus. That has to be the foundation of the church. And we need to realize that the only unique thing we have to offer as a church is Jesus. The world out there can offer many of the things that we offer, activities for young people, help for people. The world can do that. But the one thing that we can give, which is the most important thing that we can give, which the world cannot give, is the message of Jesus Christ. I was just hearing this week about a situation of someone who had tremendous mental problems. And the person was talking to a doctor, and the, the doctor had since left being a doctor to become a minister because, as a doctor, he just didn't have the answer because the main problem was ultimately the person had was sin in their life. And what's the answer to sin in their life? You aren't going to get a tablet that deals with sin. Tablets have their place. 
But the only thing that will deal with sin is the Lord Jesus Christ. The only thing that will give us eternal hope is Jesus Christ. So we need to realize as a church, all we do, all we are about has to be Jesus at the center. But the new thing that this group of believers did was they shared the gospel with the Hellenists. That's the Greeks, these non-Jews. They stepped across the boundaries. Really up until this, the believers had been Jewish people. We saw last time about the new direction. Peter went to Cornelius. That was the beginning of it. And now we see in a different area, this is continuing. They're reaching across the boundary to non-Jews. Why? Because the only way anyone can be saved, Jew and Gentile, is Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which you must be saved. Let's not think we'll have our religion and they'll have their religion, and that's okay. Their religion, if it doesn't have faith in Jesus at the center of it, will take them to hell. Jesus is the only hope, and we have to share it with everyone. Now, when it says here about these believers, they preach the message about Jesus. The word here for preaching is not the normal word for preaching in the New Testament, which is a word, caruso. This is a word which basically just means to evangelize. It's sharing the message of Christ in their everyday conversation. Now, remember, the apostles, where were they? They were back in Jerusalem. If we can use the term, these were the ordinary Christians, the ordinary members of the church, who in their daily lives talked to people about Jesus. In their conversations, when they're in the marketplace, when they're at the workplace, they talked about Jesus. So, we have providence, we have preaching, and then thirdly, we have power. Look there at verse 21 of chapter 11. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. How were these people made Christians? It wasn't in the power of the people who were sharing the message. It wasn't in the power of any Christian to make someone into a Christian. It was the power of God working in people's hearts through the Holy Spirit. Later on in verse 23, it's described as the grace of God. It's God reaching into people's hearts to do for them what they cannot do for themselves. It's Jesus doing for people what they don't deserve, transforming their lives, bringing them to trust in Him as Savior and Lord. People are only made Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says that the wind blows where it pleases, so it is with the Spirit of God. He says you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. And so a Christian is made by the Spirit of God. Uh, there's a term I, I don't like. Uh, people talk about leading people to Jesus. And I understand what they mean. They've talked to people and they've come to trust in Jesus. But in my experience, I can lead no one to Jesus. I can talk to I'm blue in the face and they will never become a Christian in what I do. The only one who leads people to Jesus is the Holy Spirit. He comes into that hard heart which says no to Christ. He comes into that blind person who can't see the truth. He opens their eyes. He softens their heart. He draws them to Jesus. 
He sweetly determines their wills, the old Puritan James Durham said. He changes them with him. It's all this wonderful work of grace. And that's why we need to pray, to pray, to pray. Parents, are you worried about your children who are not trusting in Jesus? Pray, pray, pray. Are you worried about other family members not trusting in Jesus? Pray, pray, pray. Those people you work with who are so hard to the gospel, pray, pray, pray. Those people in your classroom, pray, pray, pray. Why? It's by praying that the Spirit of God moves. And unless the Spirit of God moves, no one will be saved. But when the Spirit of God moves in power, ultimately, no one will resist his irresistible grace. So how this church was created, the three Ps, providence, preaching, power. And then exactly how the church grew up. And here we have four things, how the church grew up. First of all, it grew up with encouragement. Barnabas is sent here. Barnabas has this particular gift of encouragement. We're all called to encourage, but some people have a particular gift. You remember Barnabas back at the end of Acts 4, just before the story of Ananias and Sapphira, it was Barnabas who sold his field to give it to the apostles to help the poor. Well, Barnabas actually wasn't his real name. His real name was Joseph. But Barnabas means son of encouragement. They just looked at him and just thought, encouragement. He was just encouragement right through him. He is the one at the end of Acts 9 when Saul of Tarsus was converted and the Christians and the apostles in Jerusalem didn't want anything to do with him. It was Barnabas who went and brought him in. He was this great encouragement. And now he's sent to bring encouragement to this fledgling church. And notice how it says he encouraged them. He encouraged them, it says in verse 23, that they would remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. It wasn't just, I think you're great and doing a great job. He says, no. His encouragement had direction. His encouragement had focus. Encouragement pointed people to Jesus and kept pointing people to Jesus and remaining faithful to Jesus. The expression here is an expression that is also used of the Holy Spirit. He drew alongside them. He was like a a coach coming alongside people saying, this is the way you do it. Do it this way. Keep going. Keep being faithful. Keep doing it. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit too in our lives. He's the greatest encourager of all. As we go to God's Word, we let the Holy Spirit speak to us and encourage us. When we're down, it is the Spirit of God who comes and encourages us to go on. People say, I would love to be a Christian, but I could never keep it up. In yourself, of course, you could never keep it up. But the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, He comes and lives in you. He comes and encourages you and helps you to keep going on. The Spirit of God is the ultimate son of encouragement. But within the church, we do need to encourage. We need to spur each other on. It talks about meeting together to do that, to encourage each other to be faithful. We need to do that. You go out there tomorrow, you go into your workplace, you go into your school, your university, wherever you go out in this world tomorrow, there will be plenty of people who will discourage you about being faithful to Christ. 
We need the encouragement of each other, pointing us to be faithful to Jesus. So we see there's encouragement. And then, secondly, we see there's teaching. The bringing of Saul from Tarsus to Antioch allowed for this year of intense teaching in verse 26. And here was a church that would grow and develop. What do believers need? They need intense teaching. They don't need just to dip their toe in here and there. There is an attitude among believers of dipping their toe in here and there. You'll never grow and develop as a Christian if you do that. Here were people who were committed to intense teaching. The Saul and Barnabas were doing it. They were committed to that. And the believers were committed to that as well. And what we see in verse 28 and 29, I didn't read this section, this man called Agabus, a prophet, came and spoke of a famine that was going to come. And so what the church did, they gathered together all the resources they could to support the believers in Judea. That's the area around Jerusalem. And so what this teaching did was created this loving and caring fellowship that would help others. We also see at the beginning of chapter 13, it also created other prophets and teachers as well. And so more workers were added to the church. The church was built up through this serious teaching. We need to be so committed, not just smooths, Sunday morning only people. We need to be serious Sunday morning, Sunday evening, midweek. We need to be serious in our own homes. Because when the Word of God is poured into us individually, when the Word of God is poured into us as a church, we'll grow, we'll become more loving, we'll be able to serve better, all through the faithful teaching of God's Word. And then thirdly, there was worship. Going over to chapter 13 now, and the worship they had. It says about these people in verse 1 and in verse 2, while they were worshiping, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. They were a worshiping church, but they were a church that was so dedicated in their worship. Their worship included fasting, the, the going without food in order to prioritize the spiritual over the material. I think in many ways we have lost this discipline within the church. I hope you realize this used to be a very Presbyterian thing, this fasting. It used to be in a Presbyterian communion season. They would have had a number of days leading up to communion in which people would have prepared. And one of the days would have been a fast day. People went without their food. They skipped their meal in order to pray and to show the Lord that that which was spiritual was more important than the material. And this shows that here we have a people that when they met to worship, they meant real business with the Lord. You often hear that expression at a time of revival and the prayer meetings at revival. People met to pray, but they met to do business with the Lord. They weren't going through the motions. They were wanting to grab the very gates of heaven to shake them so the Lord would hear them and come down and bless them in power. We need, when we come to worship, to long for, desire, to pray for, to fast, so that we will have a real engagement 
with the Lord. Do we just want to have a nice service? Or do we want a real transforming encounter with the living Christ? This church would be so effective and it would continue to play a key role in the book of Acts because here were believers who longed for this encounter. In their worshiping, they were a, a listening church. They wanted to hear the voice of God. And you know, as we worship, we need to have that. We should have a longing that God will be speaking to us and a willingness that we will act in what we hear. We need to have our worship attitude which means we're alive to God and that God will be alive to us. We need to pray for that more and more. One of the lovely things about the Lord's table, it's, it's described as communion. And the reform position is that when we take of the bread and the wine, it remains bread and wine. And Jesus is not physically present here when we take the Lord's Supper. But when we take the Lord's Supper, Jesus is spiritually present. He's here as real of any, as any of us. He's here to teach, to lead, to bless, to change us, to put grace into our lives that we indeed can be faithful in serving Him. Every service of worship should be a communion service. You don't need the bread and wine every week at every service, but our longing would be at every service we are meeting with Jesus, that we know he is among us of the truth. And the final thing about this growing church, it was a commissioning church, verses 3 and 4. In obedience to God's will, Barnabas and Saul, remember, two of the key people now in this church are now set apart for missionary work. This was not something that Saul and Barnabas took upon themselves. This was done under the authority of God given through the church. This was not a church where there was a free-for-all for Christians or individual members just to do what they pleased. There was order, there was structure, there was authority. And if you look closely at that chapter 13, it was particularly to the leaders that the Spirit was speaking to in this. And it was the leaders who were guiding what should be done. The church needs to be a a vibrant place where the leadership is looking to help guide its members, particularly its younger members, but all members, how they can serve, how they can use their gifts for the glory of God. This is an important point for prayer, that every member of this church, we were thinking a couple of Wednesday nights ago at our, at our grow groups about the gifts that God has given in Ephesians 4. Every believer has gifts. And the purpose of the ministry of the Word is for believers to be built up to serve. Every believer has a part to play. And we should pray that indeed that every believer will be using their gifts. As we take of the bread and the wine, we are reminded of the great sacrifice of Jesus of the great love which has redeemed us. But we can't take of that 
bread and wine and be fed by Jesus and think that is the end of the matter. We take the bread and the wine, we're fed by Jesus in order to go, to serve, to witness, so that Christ will be glorified in this needy world around us. So how did this church grow? Through encouragement, teaching, worship, and commissioning for service. Let us pray. Father, we do pray that you would just bless this word to our hearts today and give us the grace, O oh God, that we need to be transformed by this word, that Jesus would be real to us, that, Father, that as we worship, as your word is taught, that we would have this real and transforming encounter with Christ. For any who are unsaved, that they'll be drawn to Christ in salvation. They would be born again by the Spirit of God. And for believers, that we would grow and develop for the glory of our Savior. For such grace we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.